Uh, well, good morning, Door of Hope. Uh, for those I haven't met before, my name's Phil Van Ryan. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Door of Hope, and I've been asked to, sp to speak today on the, uh, the myth and miracle of children. Uh, before I start, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray for my message today, Lord. I pray for the words that I've prepared and the words that I speak, that they'll become your words, Lord Jesus, that they'll go out and they'll implant on the hearts of the people listening today, Lord, and that there'll be a story for you, Lord, to tell them. Ah, Lord, I just pray for my nerves that you replace those with confidence. Uh, amen. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, so this year, we've been exploring this myth and miracle series for a little while. We started early in the year with the myths and miracles of marriage and relationships, and we busted a few of those myths, and then we introduced you to some of the miracles contained in there. And then a couple of weeks ago, Steve spoke to us about the myth and miracle of friendships. He busted those myths, I think it was about five, and then he exposed us to the miracles that friendships contain and those power of those relationships. And then last week, Joel spoke to us about the myth and miracle of church. He sang it. Sorry, I did miss it. I was running over some mountains, I'm sure. I will listen to it. I didn't get there. Um, but Claire showed me, told me all about it. She said it was a fantastic message. He busted those myths of church and then just brought us through to the miracle of the Holy Spirit and what that brings to us. But before I begin, I suppose you're going to want a few credentials to know why I'm being asked to speak to you about the myth and miracle of children. Uh, so first up, I was once a child. It gives me some stuff. Check out those overalls. Hey? I don't know why I'm on a horse. Um, my name means lover of horses, believe it or not. I don't love horses, but it's a cute picture. And I think it's my cousin and my mum. All right, so I was once a child. That gives me a little bit of credibility, hopefully. Some would say I still am a child. <laughs> Secondly, I'm the father of two beautiful children. I have Roman, aged eight, and Adelaide, aged five. And I think, there they are, look at them. Beautiful, beautiful kids. Thirdly, I've been working here with children for many years. I've been working in superheroes camps that we run here at Door of Hope, and I also work out in the Hope Discovery... I shouldn't say work, should I? Surf. Out here in Hope Discovery Kids. Sometimes it feels like work. Um, so I've worked with kids a lot at Door of Hope as well over the years. And fourthly, or finally, I've been a school teacher, a primary school teacher for 15 years. So I've worked a lot with kids over the time mostly in grade two and grade four, but I've taught right across the primary school. So there's my CV. Today, I want to start where I hope to finish and then kind of fill in the blanks in the middle. I want to state from the very beginning that the myth of children is that we are in control, that our plans are more important than any others. And the miracle of children is that God is in control, that his plans are more important. So what do I mean by that? If you think about it, what really are the myths of children? The myths of children are actually the things we as adults hold. And children have very little to do with their myths. They have no control over them whatsoever. They're our myths. So let's have a look at a couple of myths. Hopefully I'll bust them for you. I'm going to be pretty quick, and then we'll see how we go from there. Myth number one, having children completes your life. 
There's a perception out there, isn't there? You've been married for a few years, maybe did a bit of renos, got the mortgage kind of under control, done an international holiday, you're the classic dinks, double income, no kids. The logical next step is have some kids. And if you've been married for a little while, it'll be the number one question you're asked. When are you having kids? It's this perception that if you haven't had kids, you're missing something still. Now, it's simply not true. In Australia, we have this 2.3 children. You've got to have this 2.3 children thing. To be not having kids is un-Australian almost, but it's simply not true. It's a myth. Having kids is not the piece de resistance, did I pronounce that probably? Of a happy and fulfilled life. You can have a happy and fulfilled life without children, so that's a myth, guys. Myth number two, children bring joy. <laughs> now, yes, children do indeed bring joy, a lot of joy, but they bring a whole lot else as well, don't they? <laughs> they bring tears, sleeplessness, heartbreak, stress, worry, anxiety, and much, much more. So children, yes, do bring joy, but it's not the full package, guys. <laughs> Having children, bringing joy, it's a myth. Number three, and this is a pretty big one, having children will save our marriage. A really big one. Now, we looked at marriage earlier in the year, as I said. And if your marriage is having trouble, there are plenty of great ways to save your marriage. There are courses, there are books, there are podcasts, there are all sorts of things you can do. Can I encourage you, if your marriage is in trouble and needs saving, that you get around some good friends, that you get some wise counsel, that you get some professional help. Because if you do have children, those children will be all the more blessed from having two parents who are safe and secure and in a loving relationship. Can you imagine the pressure that places on a child to be the saviour of a marriage? It's nearly impossible, guys. So having children will save your marriage, complete myth. And my fourth myth, is this. There should be a photo soon. <laughs> the perfect family. <laughs> Look at them. Look at the shirts. I love it. Okay? The perfect family. Does anyone have one of those family photos at home? All right. Think. All right. The perfect family is the myth. Look, guys. Now, I'm sure through your completely biased, sleep-deprived, rose-coloured glasses, your family is perfect and your children are perfect. But trust me, I literally spend every single day of my life surrounded by children. And I haven't met a perfect one yet. Perfection in children doesn't exist. Perfection in families doesn't exist. Now, when our son Roman was born, we thought we'd broken that mould, actually. <laughs> we literally had the perfect child, we thought. We had a reasonably quick, complication-free birth, ticked all the boxes in the hospital and were sent home. He got home, he was sleeping well, feeding well, and only a few days after we were home, we thought we should celebrate our perfection by doing this. There, that's clear, hope you don't mind. <laughs> so we headed out for a grown-up lunch on a sunny autumn day in Launceston, and we sipped our lattes, and we ate our yummy food, and Roman did this. Oh, look at him. He literally didn't make a sound the entire lunch. Not one sound. Just slept like that next to us in the sun. And we thought, ha, 
This is easy. What are all these parents complaining about? It is so simple. You just, they just sit there and you sleep and you can eat and talk. Our little miracle. But of course, that dream was very soon shattered and we ended up closer to this. <laughs> that became our reality. I think even the cat was struggling. It was on my lap there. All right. How mighty, how the mighty had fallen and the myth of parenthood had really kicked in. So what's your perfect family or perfect child myth? Is it that your children will do well at school? Is it that your children will eat their five vegetables and two serves of fruit every single day without complaining? Is it that they will have impeccable manners, that their outfits will always look beautiful? Is it that they will become a professional golfer and look after you in your retirement? <laughs> I don't know. Is it that you won't raise your children like your parents did? Or dare I say it like your parents-in-law did? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but perfection is a myth. It simply doesn't exist. And you know why? Because all of those things I just spoke about have us in control. They're our plans, they're our perceptions, they're our story. So like I said at the beginning, the myth of children is that we are in control and not God. So there you have it, myths of children busted, done. There's lots. Sorry, what's that I hear you say? This is a sermon and you haven't even mentioned the Bible yet? Maybe that's where we went wrong with the whole miracle perfection thing. If you're going to look for perfection, the Bible's the place to look, isn't it? So let's have a little hunt through the Bible. Let's go right back to the very beginning, to Genesis, the very start of the Bible, and see how this perfection of children goes. So in Genesis, God creates the perfect couple, pre-fall of course, absolute perfection. And he sets them the task of creating the perfect family. Two perfect people, naturally, you're going to get perfect children. So just four chapters into the history of the world, as we have it written, we get this verse. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Boom. The perfect miracle of children was in trouble almost from day one. Four chapters in, we get a murder, two children. Now, I'm sure that Adam and Eve, after the whole Garden of Eden incident, had sat down and said, we stuffed up, guys. We stuffed up. We've got a chance, though. We're going to have a heap of children soon, a lot of children, probably. And we've got this chance. We made a mistake, but we don't have to repeat those mistakes. We've got this chance of perfection. They sat down and did this. I'm sure they would have. But it didn't work out, did it? Maybe the next family would do a little bit better. So only a few chapters later, we meet a guy called Noah. And Noah was blessed with three boys, and God had given them a task of building a giant ark together. And we don't hear any complaining. We hear they just worked tirelessly building this ark. So maybe they were a little more perfect. They survived the flood. They saved all the animals from extinction. In fact, they saved the entire human race from extinction. Maybe they are the perfect family. So after the flood, Noah decided to uh, plant a vineyard, as you do, and he decided to make some wine, as you do, 
and he decided to sample the wine, as you do, and he decided to pass out naked in a tent, as you do. <laughs> it's in the Bible, you have to read it. Now Noah's son comes wandering along and sees his father in his tent, and he doesn't handle the situation particularly respectfully. He runs off to find his brothers, and you can imagine what he says. Guys, you've got to come and check this out. You should see what Dad's done. Now, his brothers are a little bit more respectful, but in Genesis 9, 24, we read this verse. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, this is to his son, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. As far as we know, there are three children left on earth, and he places a curse over one of his own children. They had the task of repopulating the entire earth from scratch, basically. The plans for perfection would have been there. Noah would have said, here we go, we've got a chance. And then, bam, myth busted. Let's jump ahead to Isaac now. Now, Isaac's father had a covenant with God, Abraham this was, that he would be the father of nations. So there's a lot of pressure to have a lot of kids in this family. And Isaac and his wife, Rebecca couldn't have children, so that pressure would have been felt by them. And so they prayed to God, and God blessed them with a pregnancy, and he blessed them with two sons. But I'm not sure that Isaac and Rebecca regarded both their children as perfect and miracles. These two boys were at it, from even before they were born. Read Genesis 25 sometime. They were an interesting family. The boys were like chalk and cheese. I'm assuming they didn't get along very well at all. Eventually, uh, Jacob tricks his father into giving him his oldest brother's inheritance and then has to run away before his oldest brother tries to kill him for this. These were not the perfect children. Then Jacob eventually has his own son, has a lot of sons, one of them being Joseph, and his own brothers hate their brother. This is not the plan we have for our children. They hate him so much they want him dead, but instead they sell him into a life of slavery. I don't think that's a particularly proud parenting moment there when your kids sell one of your kids into a life of slavery. <laughs> Perfection didn't exist. Then we get David a little, bit while, a little while later, now, David's, son, uh, David's father, Jesse, had a whole heap of kids, and Samuel came looking to anoint the next king of Israel. He brought out all his sons that he thought were the best, and he didn't even bother bringing David out. He just didn't think that this plan would have worked for his youngest son. It wasn't in his plan for his children. However, eventually, David does become king. He gets a couple of little princes of his own, quite a few, and you think, right, well, you know, royal family, princes, should be perfect. But no, his own children either try and take his throne, some of them, or try and kill him. This isn't working real well, is it, this perfection of children? Pretty much, if you find a family in the Old Testament, there's some sort of drama. There are no perfect families in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So let's look at the New Testament now. Surely there's going to be some there. Let's have a look at Jesus' family. Uh, was Jesus' family perfect? No, not even Jesus got the perfect family. Now, I'll give you that Jesus was the exception to the whole perfect child rule. But his family 
was not perfect. Go with me on this one. Jesus was even rejected by his own family. In John 7, uh, verse 5, it says, For even his own brothers did not believe him. His own family didn't believe him. Can you imagine what that family must have been like? Riding along maybe in their wagon on the way to church on a Sunday morning. The boy's in the back. Mom, Jesus is saying he's the gift of the world again. (laughs) Mom, Jesus is saying he's God's gift to everything. Mom, Jesus is telling us he's the saviour of the world again. And can you imagine Mary turning around and saying, boys, why can't you be more like Jesus? (laughs) Wouldn't they have loved that? Oh, my goodness. So as I said at the beginning, the myth of children is that we are in control, that somehow we have influence over their perfection, their gifts, their talents, that it's up to us, their futures are up to us. But even in the Bible, it's a complete myth. So where are the miracles? Through every one of those stories that we just talked about, through the heartache, the murder, the backstabbing, the lies, the cheating, there's a perfect story being played out. God's plan is being played out. Despite all those problems, God's plan is coming out. His miraculous plan carries through these broken, imperfect families. Now, if you look up uh, miracles, in dictionary.com I looked it up, and there are four that I'd like to share with you. What What the definition of miracles are. An effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Number two says, such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. A wonder, a marvel, a wonderful or surpassing example of some quality. Now, not one of those examples points to any human intervention. Not one. Miracles are things that are out of our control. They're completely out of our control. And they're miracles that are things that we can only, as Christians, attribute to God. Miracles point to God, and I believe children are like little signposts. Through their wonder, through their joy, through their talents, through their gifts, through their amazing personalities, through their innocence... We're pointed to God. So if the the myth of children comes from the things that we plan, that we expect, perhaps the miracle of children comes from the things we didn't expect. Perhaps when we expect the perfect child, when we plan for the perfect child, when we hope for the perfect child, when we have our hearts set on the perfect child, and we get something different, That's where the miracle lies. The miracle is in God's plan, not ours. Now in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, you hear it a lot. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now you'll hear this verse a lot. It's often spoken as a blessing over people and often spoken as a blessing over children as they go into their lives. But it's important to know a little bit of the context of this verse. It's not a standalone verse. It's not a promise that no matter what happens, you're going to get everything you want. 
your prosperous life will happen. You'll get the mansion, you'll get the car, you'll get the 2.3 children, whatever it might be. The book of Jeremiah, incidentally the longest book in the Bible I found out, um, isn't a guarantee that your life will be easy. It's actually a whole heap of prophecies for, the, for God's people. And some of it is about upending his, his people's dreams. It's about disrupting their, his people's plans. Jeremiah actually delivers some pretty bad news through his book for the people of Israel. But this verse is points to hope. This is the verse that I like to clasp onto. It's a hope based in the knowledge that God has a much bigger plan for his people and that as Christians today, we can claim this verse for ourselves through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Through God's plans are for the good of his people, plans to give them a hope and a future. And that through Jesus Christ, that claim can be ours. Now, Bear Grylls, he's a bit of a hero of mine. He spoke at the recent GLS here at Door of Hope, and he, he gave a quote which I really loved. He said, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is a simple little word, extra, just a little bit more. And I put it to you that maybe children are actually just ordinary, and it's the little extras where the miracles in our children lie. The situation where God's plan takes a twist that we wouldn't have written, where his miraculous story is played out when we didn't expect it. As a school teacher, I love those children with a little extra. The ones who need or who give a little bit extra. They're the ones I'm drawn to. Ordinary children are fantastic. The ones who listen, who do the right thing, follow all the instructions. They're fantastic, trust me, they're great. But those little kids with a bit extra, they're the ones I'm drawn to. My brother was one of those children who had a little bit extra, quite a lot extra actually. <laughs> and if you've met him, he's a wonderful guy. But I believe my experiences growing up with his little extras is what's shaped the kind of person I am today and the teacher that I am today. In my job, I get to work with parents to help discover their children's little extras. And it's a tough job sometimes. It's a heartbreaking job sometimes. It's expensive, time-consuming. It's not the plans they have for their children quite often. But it's really, really important to discover the little extras that make their children a miracle. I often say to a parent, when we're going through this process of maybe discovering a diagnosis for their child, that this diagnosis we're about to get doesn't change the needs of your child. It doesn't change your child at all, but it changes our needs, our ability, sorry, to understand and to cater for those child's needs or their extra. It's a really hard time, but it's a really fulfilling time. When we can understand what makes our children extraordinary, we can help them better to follow their journey. I heard a great analogy at the GLS as well the other week. Uh, this person who spoke, Dr. Krish Kandai, spoke about a $20 note. He spoke about this perfectly minted $20 note, just straight off the press. The smell, the feel, not a crinkle on it. And then he compared that with a crunched, am I allowed to do this, is this legal? Anyway, um, a crunched up, been around for a little while, $20 note, through the wash, in people's pockets. And he said, which one of these notes has the most value? Now, of course, he was comparing these notes with children. This guy worked with uh, foster children. And the obvious answer is they're equal value. 
These notes represented maybe our perception of our children, this $20 note straight from the mint, and then the reality of children's lives quite often. But they're equal value. In God's economy, all children are valuable. Dr. Krish Kendire implored us through his talk, he said, see the trash, oh, sorry, <laughs> scrap, see the treasure, sorry, where other people see trash, to see the value that God sees in our children. If we've learned anything from our trip through the Bible at the start there, God sees treasure. He can use anything. He can use the broken, the imperfect, the trouble to bring out his miraculous story. Um, have you guys seen those uh, guide dogs in training that get around with their little coats on? Yeah? I think they're the perfect example of what I'm talking about today. Look at them. Look at them. So I spoke to someone the other day who cares, who does this puppy dog training. I said, how long do you look after that dog for? And they said, it's, it's around 20 months. 20 months. And for 20 months, they're in training. They're doing everything. They live with these people. They have to spend every moment with these people. I'm sure they fall in love with those. How could you not fall in love with that? And at the end of 20 months, they just hand them over. They relinquish their fur baby because they know that that puppy was never theirs to begin with. It was a gift for them to care for, but that puppy was created for a higher purpose than them. We need to acknowledge that our children are a gift from God. And really, they're not ours. We're stewards of those children for a time. They're called for a higher purpose than ours, and we need to be prepared to release them to that. We are partners with God, and he's entrusted us with some of his most valuable possessions. And when we relinquish our children to God, when we understand that and our children understand that, we show them that God is enough. Just as he's enough for us, he's enough for them, and that he has a story that's far bigger than ours. As parents, we go into parenting with pretty big hopes and dreams, don't we? And I'm sure you've got your own hopes and dreams for those who have children. There's a famous essay written in 1987 by a, an author and a social activist in America called Emily Pearl Kingsley. And it was about her experience growing up with a, a child with disability. And you don't have to have or know a child with a disability to appreciate this perspective that this mother brings. And I think it links beautifully with our message today. I'm going to invite Claire up to read it to us, my wife. Can we make her welcome? Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? 
What do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks and you must learn a whole new language and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower pace than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away because, of the, because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. It's a beautiful, beautiful essay and illustrates it beautifully. Thank you, Claire. So raising children is a tough, tough gig, guys. And all the blogs and what to expect when you're expecting books and courses that you do can never really prepare you for the miraculous journey that children provide. The myth of children, I'd like to say, is that trip to Italy. It's the trip that we planned. It's the trip that we dreamed about. It's the trip we paid for. It's the trip we had in our mind, and it's the trip that we, is part of our story. That's the myth. And the miracle of children, I'd say, is that trip to Holland, guys. It's the trip that God dreamed about. It's the trip that he planned. It's the trip that he paid for. It's the trip that he had in his mind. And it's the trip that's part of his story. This morning we witnessed the beautiful child dedication of Pippa Allen. And the Allen family have illustrated for us beautifully this miracle of children. A child dedication is a public display that as parents, as an extended family and as a church family, that we understand this miracle of children, that we dedicate this child to God, that he's one of his children, that they're one of his children. And we commit to raising them in his ways. I don't know if you noticed, but her life verse had literally these words in it, that he will, she will follow the things he planned for us. Not what his parents or her parents planned, but what God planned for them. 
Now to Chris and Mel, and to all of us here, or those listening online, I have a little announcement for you. Please fasten your seatbelts, restore your tray table into the upright position, bring your seat up straight, stow your baggage, and prepare for the trip of a lifetime. Destination? I can't tell you that. I'll let you know when we get there, but it's going to be miraculous. <laughs>